Jimmy offered him a, a Pete Townsend a Tums before he went on stage. A real rock and roll life, you know. Offered him a Tums, he turned it down. He said his doctor gave him something. <laughs> we always laugh about that. <laughs> Pete's more of a Roll Aids guy. <laughs> Hey, how's everybody doing? This is Keith Billick. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. As you can probably already tell, I am back in the backyard studio. I have not been making nearly as much use of the backyard studio this year. Um, It just seems like every time I'm ready to record, I just kind of don't feel like lugging my recording equipment outside, but... Um, We've been having some really beautiful September weather up here in Michigan, so I just couldn't resist. I thought it was a great idea. I was feeling it, so here I am in the backyard. So uh, welcome in the chorus of crickets and whatever other critters we're going to hear. I wasn't the only one who was feeling it tonight. Apparently this is also the night where all, basically every neighbor I have is out having a backyard bonfire, which is totally cool but if you hear a little of that that's my explanation so i guess instead of the the banjo podcast i'm now like a asmr picky fingers bonfire podcast or something like that no that that would be weird we're just gonna stick to banjos one reason we definitely need to stick with the banjo talk is so i can acknowledge the extremely generous contribution of raymond rich to the podcast he's today's patreon supporter of the episode. Uh, so Raymond, wherever you are, uh, thank you so much for supporting what I do. And uh, I couldn't do it without, without all of you Patreon patrons, I guess is what you're called. Very generous of you. And I, I thank you sincerely. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this podcast is essentially completely funded through patreon.com. And when you go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast that shows you how to donate a small monthly donation that keeps me up and running but you do get something out of it like raymond you could have a personal thanks on an episode another really cool benefit is at the four dollar per month level you every time i do a uh interview with a banjo player eli gilbert makes a custom lesson just for picky fingers patrons And Eli is one of the most talented online instructors, I guess, that you'll find out there. He's a very talented player, makes high-quality videos with really useful content, and he is a real master at breaking down the information in easy-to-understand ways. So uh, that makes him a great teacher and makes me really proud to have him on board as a partner in offering some extra uh, bonus content for the patrons. So yeah, once again, patreon.com slash banjo podcast is how you check that out. Another way to support the podcast that you've probably heard me mention a few times now is I now finally, after two years, got around to making some super groovy podcast logo t-shirts. And those are available at banjopodcast.com. That's actually the homepage for the podcast. And you can easily find the t-shirts from there. There's stickers as well. And all of them have the super great Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast logo, as we know, designed by my great friend and superb banjo player, Grace Fanthoff. So when you wear those t-shirts and you show off those stickers, everyone will know 
that you are a person of the utmost sophistication and integrity. So once again, visit banjopodcast.com to pick up one of those things. The only other thing I'll say is please reach out and keep in touch with me. If you want to email the show with any comments, concerns, feedback, or ideas for guests, uh, you can reach me anytime, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. I'm on various social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, track me down on there and follow slash like slash friend me, whatever the lingo is of the, the platform that you're looking on. And yeah, track me down, keep in touch. Love hearing from all of you. Control yourself. Take only what you need from me. A family of trees wants to be haunted. Today's special guest is Mark Cassidy. Mark plays banjo and is a vocalist with the band called The Hillbenders. And have, I mean, if any of you have ever tried to bend a hill, it's really tough. But Mark and his bandmates can do it. And he also plays banjo with the Los Angeles group called The Get Down Boys. And I was fortunate enough to get to meet up with him when I was uh, out in Santa Monica earlier this year. So this is one of the last pre-COVID interviews I was able to do, so it's hard not to be at least a little bit nostalgic hearing the the outdoor Santa Monica background uh, as Mark and I hung out and talked about banjos and his time learning with Alan Mundy and opening for The Who and all sorts of great stuff. So here it is. I hope you enjoy the interview with Mark Cassidy. is Mark Cassidy. I'm from Huntington Beach, California, Southern California, born and raised. And I got interested in banjo. I had a substitute teacher when I was in eighth grade. Um, I was into hip hop and rap and I thought that's what I wanted to do. I thought that was my favorite genre of music at the time. And I had no idea what bluegrass was. Uh-huh. And out of the blue, this substitute teacher, Mr. Ben, Mr. Ben, if you're listening, I'm trying to find you <laughs> oh excellent you don't you don't have a last I name i can't huh? find him no it, he always just went as mr ben and uh he gave me the cd he said he said i'm gonna bring you something tomorrow because uh, i was a, a disruptive kid in, okay. in class this was his way of like reaching out to you and i trying guess so to i don't know i don't i it's a little hazy as to what actually happened there but he said i'm gonna bring you something tomorrow and I said, okay, you know, dismissed it. And the next day he brought, he brought me this CD and it said, Mr. Ben's Bluegrass on it. Huh. And it was a compilation of a bunch of stuff. And I left it in my backpack and it was getting scratched and not being used. Never have been. It, yeah, and it, you, know, you know, back in the day, there were these things called CDs that yeah. <laughs> people actually use. And those Discmans yeah. that I used to try to go jogging with <laughs> foolishly. Skip, skip, skip. Oh, yep. yeah, it's hopeless. Um, so I actually ended up playing it one rainy day a friend and I were playing some silly computer game and I said hey let's listen to this 
dumb stuff here. You know, I was t- right. you know downplaying Mr. Ben, Mr. Ben. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to make fun of him all the time. You know, and I listened to it, and it was Doc Watson. It was Olden in the Way. It was Bluegrass Album Band, and I was blown away. Really, like, I was. I couldn't even hide it from my friend at that time. I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever listened to in my entire life. Even cooler than hip hop. Wait, like at that time I was Dre or nothing. You know, oh. I was like, I thought, you know, Snoop and Dre were, you know, hung the moon. And uh, I listened to it and I was just blown away. And for some reason, Jerry Garcia's banjo playing was just so. I don't know. It wasn't well thought out. It was just, it just flowed out of him. It was like uh-huh. this really cool, and I, it just captured me. And I had to have a banjo. parents and I said hey I would like a banjo uh-huh. like, could you guys help me get a banjo and they were blown away by that and they had no he idea left where, field. where where did this come from you know and I'm wearing super baggy pants and you know it's like and my parents were blown away so of course immediately they try to find me a banjo because they want me to stick with this thing. They're and, trying to like re, <laughs> yeah. like encourage yeah. this positive thing that you're, you're trying so to do. So they, they found me this Oscar Schmidt banjo uh, on eBay. It was $150 uh-huh. and it was a total junker. Uh-huh. And they got, they got me the banjo and it worked. Like I could do it. This guy at Fountain Valley Music in Fountain Valley, California, he showed me how to read tablature real quick. Yeah. And... I went home and I learned it, and I learned boil them cabbage down and got it right away. And you started with all the regular stuff, yeah. your roll patterns Absolutely. and whatnot. Yeah. I just went straight into tunes. I went straight into boil them cabbage down, Cripple Creek, and I just ten minutes at Fountain Valley Music. A guy showed yeah. me how to read tablature, and I was like, "Wow, well, simple enough!" And, and you can find tons of stuff. It had this little CD that went with it, so I could make sure that. I wasn't blowing it or anything, but... Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So. so what was your next step? I mean, from there, like, I imagine none of your friends are into this. Oh, no, I was... And, a, like, how did you, I don't know, get people to play with? Or, or what was your next step in, like, pushing forward with this? Um, I was a closet banjo player until my senior year of high school. Right. Nobody knew I played really? banjo. Yeah. Really? But my parents were um, very dead set on trying to find me a teacher... So they searched all well, like around. like a more advanced one than yeah. the guy who had well, there uh, was, guy started or something? The guy at Fountain Valley Music didn't know anything about banjo. He just knew how to read tablature. Oh, okay. So, got it, got it. so they searched, and they found a guy named David Guptill, and he, he's the one responsible for Pro Picks. And does he have bridges, too, or something? No, no, so no. He, he it makes, is, must be Pro Picks that so, I'm thinking of, yeah. So he makes Pro Picks, and he makes uh, Dobros as well, Resophonic oh, Guitars. Really? Yeah. And... He wasn't accepting students at the time. Uh-huh. And my parents were like, well, just let him come in, see if it, you know, blah, blah. So I came in and he was, he's like, well, this kid, you know, 
he wants to learn and he shows a little bit of promise or whatever. So yeah. he let me, you know, be one of his students and he helped me. He was super into melodic. He was super into, um, so he kind of guided me through the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gave me a lot of really great tunes, hit all the stops. He hit single string, Scrug style, melodic and he got me fired up on all of them yeah did you have one that you were gravitating i mean by that point you had been playing a few years what sort of players were you digging or did you find any of those more attractive of a path than others i think the weird part about it is i was still listening to everything but bluegrass at the time Hmm. so i was taking the songs that he would show me but i still wasn't really that interested in bluegrass like yeah. I, I still what didn't submerge myself into bluegrass i didn't i didn't so i was still listening to rap uh-huh. and at the same time going in and learning banjo tunes and learning all these other tunes yeah um until one day uh my parents kind of knew that i wasn't going to go to college for anything because my <laughs> academics were uh lacking uh, to say the least yeah and so they, I, I opened up to my banjo teacher and I said, well, this is happening. We kind of had like a little spit session there as to where we just talk about our days and everything. And I kind of told him that, well, my parents are kind of pressuring me on college and I don't want to go to college. And, blah, blah. and he goes, you know what? You should try this. And he laid in front of me, Alan Mundy teaching at South Plains College. Oh, sure, sure. So uh, at that point, I was like, well, going to college for bluegrass yeah, and it's playing scr- banjo it, yeah it's win-win win. Yeah. right yeah your parents will be happy uh, and you'll be happy so that's what i did i sent in a tape i think or uh, just to me playing and alan got it alan and joe carr at the time uh-huh. and ed marsh and they um were cool with it and they they said yeah we want this kid and i got i think somewhat of a scholarship it wasn't i'm not sure if it was a full or what what was going on i can't remember that far back but I got in there. Helped you out a little bit. Yeah, I I went in there, and I mean, that completely changed my life. It got me out of trouble in Southern California, and it got me moving away into this culture shock of living in West Texas, in Leveland, Texas. Right, where there's nothing else to do. What they say say in in Leveland, it's so flat, if you stare hard enough at the horizon, you can see the back of your head. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, they so, have even in the Country Gazette songs, they have all sorts of like weird West Texas oh, yeah. inside jokes and, uh, the, and stuff like that. I'm probably I probably didn't even get half of them, but yeah. Well, there's that Joe Joe Carr and Alan Mundy album, the uh, Windy Days and Dusty Skies. Uh-huh. That's just I think the whole thing is about them joking about living in West Texas. Right. What year would that have been? I was there from 2006 to 2000 seven uh, and a okay. half like i was there for yeah. a year and a half okay now maybe it's fast let me know if this is fast forwarding too much but uh so like how did you meet up with the dudes you're playing with now well we kind of talked about this the other night i i when i was in leveland texas alan said hey you should audition for this band called monroe's crossing uh-huh and so that's one out of Minnesota? Minnesota. Right, so okay. I, I went out to Minnesota and I auditioned for this band and didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And a guy named Art Blackburn was the was leading the show there. And uh, I think I may have been a little too young or just wasn't good enough. I don't know. Yeah. But he goes, you know what? You should try out for, or you should go and um, 
you should go and enter yourself in Winfield, the, okay. the banjo competition. Sure. So fast forward a little bit, I enter into Winfield banjo competition. And then I had a friend that was there that I knew in, in Leveland, and he was friends with a group called the Arkimo Rangers, which they were playing there. Not They weren't playing the main stages. They were playing, I don't know if you've ever been to Winfield. Where I they, have not, no. Where they, they have... Um, all these side stages outside of the the festival, all the side stages like stage five and stage seven and stage three point five. So like the <laughs> public who don't even have a ticket can go yeah, the, check that out. Just is hanging out in the, the yeah yeah okay. The whole the whole vibe is like this outlaw bluegrass gets to play in the parking lot and then all the other stuff is played on the inside. All right, all so, right. but it's a really great crowd. It's a wild party. It's you know. So I did, I did enter myself into that competition, and I didn't quite make it there for registration. Uh, I ran into yeah. Feel free to. Sh- <laughs> I mean, if you want to tell the story, go ahead. Yeah, but well, uh, I just I was young and ran into the, uh, a little trouble with the law the night before. <laughs> Johnny Law. Yeah, and so I didn't quite make registration. But I had a friend. Uh, his dad was there, and he signed me up anyway. Uh-huh. And so I got there, and I tried to play the best I could, but. I didn't make it to the finals or anything. Some stiff and, competition yeah, with those well, things. So. I think Jeff Scroggins was uh, in the competition too, which okay. he just totally yeah he ripped. killed it. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> and uh, so all these contests, uh, I, I can't remember who else was there. It was a few people that I know now. And did I, Jeff I win that year? No, he he came in second place. Stephen okay. Moore, right, was I think no. I, I can't remember. It was so long ago, but then, um, but I met the Arkmo Rangers, which in, which actually turned into the Hillbenders. Okay. Because the mandolin player left, and I moved to Springfield, Missouri, to join the Arkmo Rangers. Uh, we're fast forwarding a lot here, but I've, yeah, I, that's I moved. Okay. To, I moved to Springfield, and then um, when Arkmo broke up, the mandolin player decided he wanted to do something else, and so I called Nolan. Uh, Nolan Lawrence, who is the mandolin player for the Hillbenders, and I called him up and I said, "Hey, let's do this. I've, I've got 75% of a band. Let's complete it and make right, it right. happen." And so he moved up without, oh, how great! You know, without a question. And we started the Hillbenders, and it was, you know, we just went at it. We just went crazy with it. So yeah, we, we skip forward, but to rewind, what kind of stuff did you learn from Alan that you think is still? Is there anything that you can think of offhand that's like still useful in your playing, or had you, I don't know, that that caused you to make a good leap in your playing? Absolutely, I think Alan, Alan guided me so much in everyday life and playing banjo. So it was really cool to, you know, he'd give me music to learn, he'd show me cool tricks, he'd do this and that, and we'd learn tunes, but he'd kind of. Let me talk to him about my day, and he'd ha- he, he, you know, he's a hilarious dude. Right, right? right. I don't know if you've ever had a chance. He's been on the show. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. yeah, and he's full of wit. Uh-huh. He's done it all. He's been around all the people. Yeah, and you know, I asked Alan before I left, and I because I was very worried. I didn't know. I said, Alan, do you think I'm good enough? Do you think I, can I do this if if uh-huh. I wanted to? And he said yes. You know, he, he in more words than that, he told me yes, and he told me to to pursue it. 
And I don't think if I didn't have that blessing, I I w- probably wouldn't have. So that's huh. you know, Alan. We stay in touch. You know, I've, I haven't talked to him for a little while, but we've stayed in touch for the most part. And uh, he just has guided me through a lot of things, you know, just in everyday life, and and guided me through being in a band and and rough patches. And, oh, how great and to have and, someone like that! Yeah, he, he's he, he's an amazing dude and amazing. Uh, player and influential on all aspects you know he's he's just a great dude i can't say enough nice things about alan yeah absolutely and and you know even if he didn't do anything other than play the banjo he's he's a a superstar (laughs) at that too yeah totally yeah he uh he showed me a lot of stuff he gave me this big packet of stuff Mm -hmm. before i left level and which i've kind of flipped through here and there even till this day i still have a big booklet of stuff Alan's given me, but um, what I learned there, just having conversations with Alan is just worth every last bit of it. Sure, you know, it's, yeah. it's amazing. That's cool. What what type of music stuff did he did he teach you too? Do you um, remember any of that? Yeah. What, <laughs> I know it's, what's funny is I, when I first showed up, I I thought I had it going on. I thought I was okay. I thought <laughs> big big fish in a small pond. Southern California, I never really jammed with anyone. I used to go to a festival and I knew a few tunes and I thought that I was killing it on yeah. banjo. Okay. And then I got there and Alan's like, well, show me what you got. Or he's like, play me something. And uh, what's funny now, I like didn't even really register who Alan was at that time. Oh, like I was okay. just... I Maybe better that you didn't. You probably would have been more uh, <laughs> I wouldn't nervous have played or something. Yeah. So I played this like really weird like one to flat seven thing I made up at home and I okay. thought I was just crushing it and it, like I could just see it on his face that it just wasn't it wasn't there you okay. know I, he was like yeah we got you know we got some stuff to work on yeah yeah, yeah. but um, yeah he he helped me a lot on on melodic stuff. I, I remember I was even today I, I am so um, heavy on like emotional playing or something. It's just like okay. being very, you know, in the moment, like bluesy emotional bends and trying to do all this stuff. And he kind of calmed me down on a lot of stuff and like more precise melodic licks, more, you know, something that I wouldn't usually do in my playing. Uh, you know, his melodic lick of like, You know, I usually wouldn't have done that, you know. Uh-huh. I'd be like a... Uh, you know, or trying to do something silly. Or, uh, or trying to do something silly or trying to, you know, trying to incorporate all these bands or trying to, you know, just hold on something. That That whole thing is very methodical, you know, like that whole... You know, there's a whole lot of notes yeah, for just yeah. playing a C to G. You know, now is it is it true? I've heard that he doesn't really improvise. Is that true? I, as far as you know, you know, if he um, if he is improvising, it's very it's a lot of jazz. Like mm-hmm. he used to sit there and have full conversations with me and play jazz with his thumb. That's it. You just like oh, like while he's speaking. Oh, yeah, like all these jazz licks and stuff 
as he's having a full conversation with you, which <laughs> blows me away. He's just noodling, basically. Yeah. But, yeah. but I think he wants to go into it having, you know, knowing what he's going to play. You know, like a lot of these tunes that him and Byron were locking in on are fiddle tunes, and the correct note is the correct note. You know, there's really not There's much, a right and a wrong. Yeah, there's no, you know, improvising when you're doubling on a fiddle, you know, on all these tunes uh, that him and Byron were playing, especially is. Um, or together again for the first time with Sam Bush. It's like every one of those tunes is well thought out. They're really great. Melodic banjo, mandolin over top fiddle, you know, town and country fiddler. There's a right note and there's a wrong note. There's, yeah. there's really no improvising that, you know. Know the tune and know, know what you're playing. Cause that's, I think that that was kind of where he kicked it off. His whole MO there was, was playing the right notes, playing the, the fiddle tune note for note. And then later on in his years, when Slim Ritchie, who's a really great jazz guitar player, and yeah. um, or was, to, God rest his soul, but a really great uh, jazz player in Austin that kind of showed him the way on a lot of these cool jazz licks and all these cool things that he, uh, you know, kind of incorporates these jazz licks into his playing kind of later. But most of everything before was all melodic banjo locking in with yeah and crafting these arrangements of these fiddle tune variations yeah. and yeah they're just they're genius the, variations you yeah. had all this like cool little you know all these like cool little right you know pull-offs and stuff like that that really kind of gave him his yeah his, push, his, right? his yeah. sound yeah. yeah so you're saying that it sounds like um if you were left to your own devices you might be just a little more like abandoned with your approach and maybe he injected a little bit of like perfectionism or something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I think because I lend to, to be more, you know, it's tough to describe is whenever I'm playing, especially in a group like the Hillbenders is mm -hmm. like everything is loud and like everything is powerful and, and it's the stage presence that means most and it's this and that, you know, and I think that if I, if I was left with my own, mind and my own you know sort of creativity that I would only do what I find myself doing and having to step back and try to clean up you know or try to make it a little more precise because I, I feel like a lot of the time I let the emotion overtake especially on stage and trying to do too much rather than kind of clean it up and perfect it and kind of give it a direction is that definitely a bad thing though I don't know. I mean, yeah. it depends on what you want. I, <laughs> I think I get a lot of people that love it. You know, like, there's a yeah. lot of people that, that want to um, learn that sort of thing. And I get a lot of people that, you know, want a billion notes mm -hmm. with kind of standing there on stage and focusing on a billion notes and don't really want to see people jumping around like a bunch of maniacs on stage and getting the... <laughs> Right, yeah. yeah. Something I mean, a little more refined or whatever. I mean, it yeah. Depends on what people want. You know, there's a there's a, a medium in there. It's probably like the dusters is like it's you know, there's a lot of emotion in there but a lot of precision. Then you get, you right. know, probably the hillbenders on the let's jump around and do whatever the hell we want sort of vibe and then you have Punch Brothers, which is like a everything's calculated everyone's there everyone's getting clean tone everyone's doing this and that so i think Sounds that, more like chamber music or something uh, yeah. yeah i mean that's i mean that's exactly what that is you know mm -hmm. and people love that you know but some people love the other so it's you know there's definitely that spectrum in in bluegrass that 
or what we consider as bluegrass. Sure, sure. You know? Yeah, the, the big tent version yeah. of uh, bluegrass. Uh, as to what people want. Some people want one or the other, and some people want all of it. Yeah. I like those people. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Hey, sorry to interrupt everybody, but I just couldn't resist an opportunity to tell you about the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted instruments, and that, of course, is Elderly Instruments, which is a family-owned business located in Lansing, Michigan. But if you're not in Lansing, that's okay. They ship worldwide, too, and they just have a vast selection of acoustic guitars, electric guitars, ukuleles, mandolins, all the accessories and books that you'd want for either of those, and of course, plenty and plenty of banjos. And something that people don't often think about when you're buying stuff like that, particularly entry-level instruments, is the fact that they have a world-renowned repair shop as well. When all those instruments come into the store, if they do not pass a thorough setup and inspection by the repair shop, they get sent back. And that sometimes angers the suppliers of elderly instruments, but it lets you know that elderly stands by their products. And they also have a helpful and knowledgeable sales staff to help you find what you need. And you can be confident that you're going to get something that is set up to elderly's high quality standards. So if that sounds great, and I know it does, check them out at elderly.com or call 517-372-7880 to speak to one of their helpful salespeople. It's where I go, and it's where you should go to. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is also proud to be sponsored by Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses, perfect for quarantine, by the way, but they have courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. For example, listen to some of the courses. These are just the banjo courses that they offer. Uh, A couple different classes with Bill Evans, such as beginning banjo and bluegrass banjo. You can learn claw hammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and also contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wesley Corbett. And each of those courses includes high quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. So it's everything you need to up your skills, especially in these isolated times. And listen up, because this is the best part. If you join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now, you're going to get your first month free by going to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's PICKYFINGERS, all one word, all lowercase, at pegheadnation.com. Check it out. So have you, I know this is a tricky question, but have you stumbled then, like given what we were just talking about, do you have things that you consider to be part of like your style or things that you have figured out in your learning that you, I don't know, sure. what other influences have you, sure. have you drawn from, I guess, maybe? Um, a big influence of mine is Alan O'Brien with Nashville Bluegrass Band. Okay. Because I feel like he did a lot of, of what I'm trying to achieve, which is a little mix of both. You know, okay. He has... Um, some precision in there and then he has some cool bluesy licks and then he he plays to the band I hear you calling me you say don't go but I've got no choice you've just got to believe 
when I get where I'm going, I'll give up this going and start slowing down. Got these wheels in motion, and there ain't no way to turn this train around. When I get where I'm going, that's when I know where I'm bound. I think that that to me is, depending on who I'm playing with, is I'll change what I'm doing. You know, like if I have to play note for note tunes, or or you know, I do some session work here in LA for, you know, I can do note for note type of stuff. Or some people just want very vibrant attack and okay. and sound and and more. So I take I take from a few different banjo players. I love Allen, of course. I love Both of the Allens. Both the Allens, yeah. <laughs> All the Allens. <laughs> if your name's Allen, you play banjo off You like Shelton too? Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Well I th- I think that um I think that my biggest focus with banjo is the band, right? Knowing knowing who you're playing with and what sound that they want to get. And I have my own sort of direction that I want to do, you know, and I've sort of right in that direction. But it's knowing your band and then, of course, your audience, what your audience wants. So I think that, yeah. you know, I, I, I pick and choose, or, or not, I pick a little bit from each banjo player I listen to. Like sometimes I can, you know, try to emulate whatever I possibly can from a guy like Gnome or something like sure. that, you know, what I'm physically capable of doing. And then... What's a recent example of something that you that you've picked up recently that you think is really cool or useful, or maybe not even recently, but um, like th- even from one of those guys that you just mentioned? I think that a lot of uh, like a cool thing I picked up, uh, like like that sort of bluesy sound, but using it as like a double stop or anything like that. As Gnome uses it a lot, it's like yeah. these collected like like when he's in a closed position you know that which is yeah i think is super cool it gives a really great sound but you can use it in you know yeah. it's like a closed position lick but you can get these little stu- double stops by barring with your finger behind and then get these cool little closed position stuff and then you know guys like Matt Menefee, of course, which is one of my favorite banjo players. Uh-huh. He has like he uses these really groovy like quick licks, you know, like the you know, like the, I can't remember what it was, okay. but I kind of stole that from him uh, off. Do that again? Of, uh, That's crazy. You know, it's yeah. like a it's a D lick that you can, but it's like all it's pretty much all closed position except for these those two D's you know and then you know all those sort of like is that another Menifee thing? I think that was more of like a uh, who would that be? (laughs) I can't even think right now Uh, uh, yeah I mean that's all that sort of you know all that sort of bluesy like uh, 
you know, using that same thing. So I did it in both. And then in G and then. You know, like. Yeah. So using that and then using those close positions and then using the more open position, you can come up with those like really groovy blues licks or anything like that. Then, you know, a lot of uh, Sammy, you had Sammy on. Yeah. You know, that drive that he has or Ron Stewart or, or Ron Block. I love Ron Block's playing too. Yep. You know, that sort of. You know, and then uh, I had a, a lesson with Ron Stewart one time. Oh, really? Okay, he, yes. And, Let's hear um, this. And he told me something that uh, kind of blew me away. I, I, you know, I hope I'm remembering it right because like a... Like that little tap right there. Uh, like that, that one little tap. Yeah. You know, that just that one little tap, I couldn't transcribe by listening to it. And then he told me that's what it was, was this. Huh. Oh, that was a specific thing yeah, you had asked that, him about. That little thing, I just never knew what that, how did he get that sound? Or, you know, it's just that little tap that makes all the difference in the world. Right. Because I was trying right. to do, uh, I was trying to do a pull off. Yeah. But it, it starts low. Yeah. And then goes back up high in the back. Yeah. So then, you know, and then once you hear it from the guy, you know, it's like, oh, well, it that, makes it. Yeah. It yeah makes why couldn't I? Have, right. <laughs> I'm an idiot. It's so obvious. <laughs> yeah. how, do you, how do you practice that drivey stuff? That's, that's the, the million dollar question, right? I, uh, well, a metronome, you have to. Uh -huh. And, it, and uh, you don't have to do anything. I'll put that out to everyone on the. <laughs> You don't have to do anything. But I, what I did, I had to do, was take it and uh, loop this. You know, like, sit, sit in that really drivey range of, you know, whatever uh, beats per minute that is, yeah. and try to do all these... You know, and just trying yeah, to get as many kind of, of that those grindy backup stuff. It's, I mean, the... that's all it's basically used for is backup. But that, uh -huh. to me, I think that's the coolest part of banjo. Right, right is there is like yeah. the thing that you hear, like, what is that? But like, how do I do that? But that right. makes the band. You right, know, that makes the ensemble sure does. punch so hard as to where it's you know everyone else gets the the clout for the licks, but it's banjo sitting back there going. <laughs> you know that 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 to me is the. You know, it makes my hair stand up if it's that good. You know, it's the so. So you heard it here first. When when everyone else gets the applause for their solos, we know it was really yeah. because of us. Banjo. Because of the banjo backup. <laughs> We're I the mean, real we, heroes. We've known it for a while, but like, come on. It's time for you guys. To who know are y'all kidding? <laughs> we know who they're clapping for. 
<laughs> so that's awesome. So you so you set the metronome and and kind of grind away and try to like just just do like your your fill yeah. type of things or some and like the Rob McCurry the you know all those uh-huh. sorts of things. Set it back, dial it back, and get that sort of that drive. And then, like we said, get the rhythm or, or get the the fills in there. You know, or yeah. you know, all those sort of groovy things in between. Like you said, which when you had Sammy on the show, it's when people aren't singing. Is you get the little groove in there, you get your little sure. moment. Yeah, the little surging moments. But yeah. but I can't stress this enough. When they aren't singing, <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> Don't do a, a billion licks during you know during you know the vocal feature. Pl- yeah, playing in a band or playing in a jam or anything like that. The coolest part of banjo is you're you are constantly playing, mm-hmm. but dialing it back to a. You know, or sorry, but then uh, but then getting your fill in the JD Crova, you know, or whatever, right. you get those fills in whenever you get the chance, and of course, when the fiddle's not trying to do it at the same time as you. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so you think. I don't know the the way I've done a lot of metronome work is just strictly right hand, but uh, that's really interesting. That's probably a better idea is to to incorporate more of a realistic playing situation into the metronome work too. I used to only do right hand. I used to do the um, and then uh-huh. using and then incorporating first finger. And then trying to, you know, there's like a thousand different things that you could do. Of course, yeah. You know, and then I realized, you know, I should probably play what I'm actually playing. Uh-huh. You know, the reason I started doing the first is because I saw Chris Thiele doing it one time. He okay. was going. Really? Just, and if Chris Thiele is only playing one note to a metronome, I should probably do, be, be yeah. doing the same, you know. <laughs> if it's good enough for him, yeah. Yeah, but then, you know, then I use it as, you know, the uh, Scott Vessel sort of, like, ground speed B part is like a... I love that one. Uh-huh. I love the that exercise of so using it on anything else. You know, using it, uh, you know, anywhere you can. <laughs> yeah, just just go through some like chord shapes and whatever, and yeah, you know, and then going, you know, uh, who was it that um, Sammy said that he loved the Bela when he was doing the chord shapes, but keeping it in a roll, right? Mm-hmm. So you can move all those different chord shapes. So that's. I, that's what I also use with a metronome is like get all those chord shapes in and then, you know, in any of those. All those backup licks with it. But I try not to do anything more than 15 minutes with a metronome or I'll rip my hair Just out go crazy? Head. Yeah. <laughs> 15 minutes is tops. 
but you try to kind of run everything through that at some point. Yeah, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah so, that's that's a really great idea. I think Make sure you don't fall on your face once you try to actually perform it. That well, I'm just that look you get from your rhythm section when you <laughs> when you drop the ball on eye roll. Yeah, cool. So, so speaking of backup stuff, um, the Hillbenders don't have a fiddler, right? No. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So it's is that like how do you and Chad kind of work out? that backup stuff because that can get kind of crazy right with both of you having like potentially rolling instruments yeah what's your guys system for that so both actually both bands i play in no fiddle and and dobro Dobro and banjo Uh so you got to find out who's chopping where and who's rolling where yeah so a lot of the time in uh the hillbenders gravy loves chopping so uh-huh. I love that he loves to chop because I still get to roll through everything. But the other thing is, is if I'm rolling through everything, I have to stay in the first five. You know, if if I'm doing anything else up here, it's going to be distracting. It's not going to do anything. So I'm literally like what I said earlier is I'm sitting there, you know, down here. Um, So I'm running everything, but I'm doing those like walks of. So I'm everything is down here. If I come up, but if he's rolling or if he's playing um, a lead or anything like that, I need to go opposite of where he is. Sure. So and that can change really quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. So most of the time, I just try to shut up. <laughs> and just, let, just lay back. Yeah, okay. but if he is, if he's all the way up top, you know, I'll try to sit here. If he's all the way down low, uh-huh. try to be up top. But I try to, t- you know, I can't, uh, ex- you know, ex- express how important it is that this group was to my playing is understanding when to play and when not to play or when how much to look at everyone on mm-hmm. stage. Like I can't just sit there in banjo zone on stage. I have to see what everyone else is doing. And uh-huh. if I don't, then I'm going to step on someone's toes. Someone's going to be pissed off at me. Right. You know, something's going on. That's not benefiting the band. It's a way of making sure that you're engaged with yeah. Yeah, what's, what's happening. And we do that so much too. Is like, even, even if we have, you know, even if we're taking a solo, we can stare at each other and, impromptu say now you take a bit or uh-huh. now you take a bit yeah. so even if we're you know in the middle of something and it's usually gravy solo he'll nod to me and say you go and then i'll do you know something yeah, and yeah. then and then i'll go and then he'll go and then we'll trade back and forth it kind of builds that dynamic on stage a lot more for you know it's better for the viewer and everything like that too but it's a lot of just keeping your head up make sure you can see what everyone else is doing and also having played together for so yeah, long well, you, you get yeah. the the mind meld yeah. telepathy kind of thing going there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of talking beforehand about sure. who should do what where sure sure because a lot of us kind of had a different idea of what we wanted to do with the group huh okay but then we understood it would be better as a collective rather than everyone trying to get their version of the group out yeah, yeah all the time sure. 
Do you have any cool uh, who stories? I do. Um, and uh, get us up to speed on why I would even <laughs> ask that for, for people who are unfamiliar. So a man by the name of uh, Lewis Myers, um, rest his soul. Uh, we love you, Lou. And he had an idea. He was, he was one of the founders of South by Southwest. He is... Uh, he was president of Folk Alliance International for a little while and kind of put together a whole lot. He just did so many great things for the music industry, especially folk and bluegrass. And everyone knows him, everyone loves him. And when he kind of came up to us, we'd been friends with him for a little while. We, we met him through uh, Folk Alliance or, or uh, IBMA, one of the two. Mm-hmm. We've known him for a while, and he kind of dropped it on us one time. He said, hey, I've had this idea for a very long time. I want you guys to do the Who's Rock Opera Tommy as a bluegrass outfit, and I think it'll do great. Okay. And we thought he was nuts. Because <laughs> he might have been. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, clinically, right? <laughs> um, and so we all thought it was great. I think we were kind of hitting a wall for a little bit you know we kind of really didn't know what we wanted to do we had yeah, a lot well, of, at that point you would probably put out like what three three albums yeah i think something? yeah or two or yeah two two and an ep okay and so we were kind of like well which which direction do we want to go do we want to try to do uh more of our original stuff or do we so he kind of stepped in and he goes you guys should do this album Everybody loves this album, uh-huh. and it kind of lends itself to some pretty wild stuff. And we can do. We were all about it. I mean, at first so we thought it was guys? crazy. Did you ever figure out why he yeah. thought you uniquely was? He he was watching us for a while, uh-huh. and he wanted us to be the group because of our stage presence and the way that we play. I mean, we're very. I mean, we're very much like a rock group. Yeah. With bluegrass instrumentation. Yeah. Um, we're, we're loud and you got dudes who can sing too great vocals we have no you joke. know we're we're we fit that mold uh-huh. um and it so we you know at first we thought he was nuts and then uh-huh. we we're like ah, you know whatever let's do it so we went into learn mode you know like trying to find out what what we're gonna play and jim ray our guitar player he was asked to arrange it. So he kind of arranged what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. He didn't tell us what to play. He just told us when to play okay. and where to, where to fit it. And so we did. And we all kind of lived separately at the time, too. Like I was living back in California, and the rest of the group was in Missouri, and Nolan was, um, I think, about to move to California. Nolan lived out here for a little bit. And so we got it all, and it was on us to learn the material. Yeah. And I was told by Lewis, he goes, learn it without a capo. You know, it's because these tunes are switching so quickly. Like, don't, you can't. You won't be able to pull you won't, off. You won't be able to sit there and say, oh, pardon me, I need to put my capo on. You know, yeah, so. Yeah, you'll, you'll interrupt the, the flow. Yeah, yeah, so I'm playing in, you know, it, I don't know if, if anyone's ever heard this album, sure. it's all over the place. All the, yeah. all the music is all over the place. It's changing keys. It's all over the place. So that was kind of a challenge for me too, is 
kind of finding out how to make it work without using a capo because I was so reliant on a capo before. Mm-hmm. But it was great. It was it was a lot of fun. We went into the studio and we did it all to two inch tape. Oh, um, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it That's was cool. it was all true to the original Tommy. We did a two inch tape. We did it all live. Uh-huh. Um, we did everything how it was, and uh, we did it at a, a legendary studio in uh, Springfield, Missouri, where a guy by the name of Lou Whitney had his studio. Uh, both Lou's and. Yeah. Other Lou had passed away just before we okay. were going to do it. Uh, so, so he never heard it. And he never heard it. But oh, we did man. it. We did it at a studio. And our Lou, uh, after our first couple takes, was pissed. <laughs> we didn't, we weren't doing it the way we should have done it. Or huh. we were just, we were blowing it because we, we had never recorded in this way before. We've never, you know, it's got to be right or. You know, we're wasting money. You yeah. know, two-inch tape, there's not much edits you sure, can do. There's not sure. So the first night, we blew it. We just totally didn't have it. Okay. We all went home with our heads hung low. And oh, no. And we were bummed out. And then the next day, we showed up. I think all of us went home and just none of us slept. <laughs> we just, we well, just all amped up. Yeah, and... I mean, well, we all had to make it right because we didn't want Lou to be mad at us. Yeah. Right? So uh, he put in all this effort, all this time, and he believed in the group. He did. We just didn't want him to be mad at us. Uh-huh. So we said, you know, I think all of us individually went home, kind of brushed up on what we were doing, and we got back in there, and it went very smoothly after Whoa. that. Yeah, cool. And I will never forget when we uh, listening to you at the very end uh, when we were done. We were closing out the. Um, closing out the the recording we had a whiteboard and we kind of crossed out everything that we had finished and it was just on the very last one which is the big one very very big and i remember that we we were all in these iso booths and on the very last round it's like it goes to this you know and then uh, I, it's been so long after that, but and then it goes into the um, uh, the. Uh,
came in, Lou is in the studio behind the glass, just ear to ear smile, pumping his fist into the sky, oh, just like in tears. Like all of us were just so pumped up at the, that recording is so important to me because it's like anytime I listen to that, um, that very last song, I can remember the, the, the energy in that room listening you know listening to the whole band as our energy is rising seeing lou behind the glass pumping his oh, fist in man. the air it's perfect like one of my favorite memories of all time and uh tommy did a lot of stuff for us it it, it actually kick-started us again and brought us all around the world we we did all this stuff and then we ended up meeting uh pete townsend uh, he invited us to a show of theirs, and then we did a benefit concert for Roger Daltrey uh-huh. for uh, Who Cares Teen Cancer Society, which, of course, donate to that if you can. And Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, we did, you know, and then we did... Uh, so they had heard it, obviously, yeah, and uh, gave at least a, a tacit endorsement. Thumbs up. By, yeah, right. <laughs> and and so Pete actually gave us some, some thumbs up, gave us some good stuff, and then fast forward a little bit, we kind of remained in contact with Pete and we played him our newest album self-titled uh, self-titled uh, Hillbenders album and he loved it and he was just absolutely loved it and we uh-huh. had got this whole email back from him that said why he loved every track and what he loved about every track and how much he loved it and it, it blew us all away oh we were just God. like we just got the, <laughs> we just got this email from Pete Townsend about how much he loves our stuff that's incredible and then fast forward all because of Lou all because of Lou and then yeah. fast forward Pete hits us up and says, do you guys want to open up for us? Mm-hmm. And so we played with The Who in St. Louis. How long did, did you have to think about that one? Oh. <laughs> that was... Band meeting. You know, we. I think all of us were just... We do a good job at just pretending like things don't exist until <laughs> just before we have to do it. We're just like, oh, that's... Is it? Like, we freak out about it at first and then go into hiding for a little bit that all of a sudden right when we're about to do it we're like can you believe what we're Wait, about to do what right happened <laughs> and then so what was that like that was unreal i mean there was what, to, what venues are we talking about so this was hollywood bowl in st louis so this is like 50 60 000 people <laughs> out there <laughs> just unreal and we played all these tunes and finished with a tune that i wrote we switched i'm on guitar it's more of a rock tune jimmy gets on drums and we just this is like right when we started incorporating drums a little bit more and started Uh doing this whole thing and uh we got done with that and it was just like holy moly like what you know that was uh unreal and so we get off stage and pete comes backstage (laughs) and he starts talking to us he's like oh that's great you know i loved it and uh he started talking about like not like his voice was doing something and Jimmy, our guitar player offered him a Tums or something, (laughs) (laughs) a real rock and roll life, you know, offered him a Tums. He turned it down. He said his doctor gave him something. (laughs) I thought we we always laugh about that. Jimmy offered him a a Pete Townsend a Tums before he went on stage. (laughs) But, um, that's on the behind the music. Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Pete's more of a we were popping guy. Tums, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, and then they put on a killer show. They had a whole orchestra. They they were using different orchestras everywhere they were going. So 
it was the St. Louis Orchestra that was behind him. They oh, just man. did the whole Tommy segment behind there. We got three three Pete Townsend shout outs from stage, which was <laughs> awesome. You know how incredible. Yeah, it's you know. Not, did you play uh, some of the Tommy tunes no, in your set, or was it straight no, Benders? All our stuff. Okay, yeah, cool, he, cool. It was requested. We kind of had like, you know, it's all put on by Live Nation. Uh-huh. Live Nation puts on these huge shows and sure. stuff. And I think that uh, Pete actually went to bat for us to to be able to do it, since we're not, of course, we're One not their... as big as you know most of these people. But it's just a really great deal that he believes in the band the way he does. So. Yeah, that's that's our who stuff. So we're <laughs> continuing to be in contact, and who oh, knows? That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're we got a few more singles coming out right now, and we're um, we have a. I guess I'll I'll just say this much: we have one that lends itself to a very cool video, and we're trying to get a few people interested in it. Okay, uh, it's it's a a song about. Uh, a stressful day of work and all you want to do is go home and strip off all your clothes and play banjo that would be a cool video no no, no. so are, are you offering me the, <laughs> yeah, the gig so, the on camera so this is my uh <laughs> all right i think we can work something get that, out get that tan out here in california oh dude <laughs> yeah hope you like tan lines too hey let's talk about your banjo okay and, and all the other gear that you're working with absolutely take us through it um own banjos tanya chuck mm-hmm. unbelievable people unbelievable craftsmanship unbelievable rich uh does a great uh, job gustavo does a great job every single person in that it's a very small organization there mm-hmm. and they just pump out some amazing banjos I, yeah they sure I, do i i can't believe it so this this banjo that i have is a ohm odyssey um, that I kind of had uh, pretty much how they had it, but I kind of wanted to model it a little bit after the Gibson that I had at the time because hmm. I loved the sound, and this just blows it out of the water. Just so what are the aspects of the Gibson that they incorporated, or, or what does that mean to, curly to model maple, it after? Okay. You know, Curly Maple, the uh, same sort of tone ring, but it's the Holy Grail tone ring that, that Chuck uh, designed. Okay. But on this one, I put a radius. Oh, is that what HG stands? Yeah, holy okay, I yeah. never even put it together. Yeah. That's what. Okay, great. <laughs> and, I know that now. Um, and the uh, I had the um, the uh, what am I looking for? Radius fretboard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Goodness gracious, um, radius fretboard that I had put on it. But what's so amazing about this banjo is I can switch between a Scruggs style and melodic style. Mm-hmm. And both of those styles really have this warm tone to it, like this. You know, it's like this mid-range to it. Then yeah. you still go. That still punches, yeah. still loud as hell. It sounds great. But it yeah. has like that warm. There's enough twang, but. Yeah. Yeah, it has like this really warm. Yeah, yeah, so I love this banjo. I've I've actually bought another own banjo from them, which is amazing. I love the banjo. It's a little more warm than this one, but this is the first one I got from them. And I got to tell you, I I can't get rid of this banjo. I I've 
this is the one. It, this, it sounds awesome, man. I, I don't blame you. <laughs> you definitely have some miles on it, just judging by the oh. uh, the headwear. You know, a lot of yeah. People, what else are you? Oh, sorry. Go uh, ahead. Well, a lot of people switch out all their stuff and you know want their head to look clean and all that stuff. I think that I just love the the wear and tear uh, that you get from a banjo. It kind of shows that you're doing your work loving on it, it properly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's great. Um, what was that? What, what else? I was, just, I was just gonna say, what else do you use? Are you partial to certain bridges or picks or any Bridge? other pickups, microphones, any of that stuff? Um, picks, all the gear, picks, all the nerdy stuff. Yeah, a picks. I would say always pro pick. Um, unfortunately, I I may be incorrect by saying this, but somebody told me that uh, my old teacher Dave Guptill might be hanging up pro picks. Ooh, so, so buy them up if you buy them up em. if you can, and I hope someone takes over or does it because i love these picks i love yeah. i love the double wrap i love the you know everything about it as for a thumb pick i use these old uh, 70s nationals mm-hmm. um i don't Is there know something about the 70s nationals I, it, that it's, are th- it was made from something different i don't huh. know what what is going on but these have like a softer tone and they are more comfortable and I don't know what it is about these that I love so much. Well, everyone does. I mean, the, the people that use them, the people that love them, I mean, they're being sold. They're hip to it. And I I lose picks more than any person oh, no. in the world. <laughs> so I can't go out and buy a $50 blue chip or anything. Yeah. Blue chip has given me my allowed one free blue chip. And I <laughs> and you ruined it after two well, weeks or something? Somebody has a brand new blue chip somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. But. You're welcome. I, I'm not going to ask again. I'm just going to put my debt, my head down in shame and uh, just use something else. Roll with the national. Yeah. But uh, Tadario strings, so I use uh, those. And Fishman. I've, I still have the Fishman that I had since 2007. Okay. I've only had to just change out the trusty, battery. Okay. The with rare earth right. pickup. It sounds great. I use a uh, AER amp when I do play with an amp mm-hmm. those are great they those guys hooked us yeah, up yeah those are fantastic lewis was the reason we got hooked up with those oh lewis Myers, cool yeah, uh for the tommy thing so we kind of made it out with some some pretty cool gear milked it for all it's <laughs> yeah. worth you got to um and then you know i can't stress enough i ohm you know they always talk about how they're you know here and there with bluegrass banjos but i i honestly am, am in love with them I, I like they have this this warmth to them that i i can't get over and you know open back banjos of, of course as well i mean yeah they're, they're open backs yeah, they're really are beautiful good. and amazing but i mean i just love their odyssey their the the odyssey banjo with it's just to me it's it's this is the banjo i'll probably play forever so yeah well it sounds awesome man oh, what up do you know what you have that head tuned to? I don't. I'm not much of a uh, like a setup gear or whatever setup sort of person. You know, I whatever it is, I've kept it. Um, I've had it set set up a few times, and I they must be doing it the same because it hasn't changed really. Okay. Yeah, I just asked because that is pretty rare for it to be uh, balanced and responsive to both the like nice growly bluegrassy stuff but also the punchy mid-rangey stuff yeah. and, and nice sing- so sometimes that does come down to 
Maybe I need tension, to, but whatever. Yeah. If I get it set up again, I say don't change that. You know, uh-huh. whatever that's tuned to, tune it back to that. Yeah, yeah, keep it. <laughs> hey, man, any other? Um, I don't know, words of wisdom for aspiring players or things that you've learned along the way that have you think have helped you out a lot? Playing th- techniques or whatnot? I think um, play as many genres as you possibly can. Hmm. Uh, play with as many people as you possibly can. Keep yourself uh, open-minded to any form of music. I promise it'll help both your bluegrass and venturing out if you have to play any other kind of music. I would say if you're ever going through a hard time, everything gets better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and uh, of course, if you want to do it, there's nothing there to stop you. So, mm. what's another kind of? I mean, taking your own wisdom and throwing it back at you, other than like rock and roll with the Who stuff, is there a specific other type of music that you've explored to any degree with the with the yeah, banjo? I think uh, kind of looking at um, jazz type stuff yeah or or any sort of swing jazz uh, like any sort of like super like swing jazz sort of stuff okay. or just I love uh, rap hip hop it's very <laughs> you still into that cool you know you can find so many of these cool grooves that that you've you know, otherwise wouldn't get. And then, of course, just don't be afraid. There's a guy named Gerald Jones. I don't know if you sure, know, yeah. yeah. And he always said this really great piece of advice whenever you played uh, anything obscure, anything like that, is you're not wrong until you stop. <laughs> there you go. So just keep going with it. And be bold. Try to land on the right note. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, let everyone know where to find your stuff online. Cool. Uh, so Instagram, I'm banjist09, uh, hillbenders.com, uh, thegetdownboys.com. Hillbenders have uh, Facebook, Instagram, as do the Get Down Boys. And I've got a few things coming out myself, so I think I'm only on Instagram. So come okay. see me on Instagram <laughs> for now, I guess. Very nice. What do you have coming out yourself? Solo things? Or? Yeah, so I've, I'm Ooh, actually working cool. on a few projects. Um, I really haven't had that much time to do solo banjo stuff so i'm kind of using all my different influences and trying to and i also have a sort of bluegrass opera sort of thing in the works so interesting i'll talk about it more when it's uh yeah let me know i'll I'll, I'll plug it man (laughs) for sure yeah keep in touch about that hey thanks for everything absolutely thank you so much keith And you've reached the end of this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. We had some sound clips in this one, and they were the song Kids performed by the Hillbenders, Midnight Moonlight performed by Olden in the Way, Huckleberry Hornpipe by Country Gazette, When I Get Where I'm Going by the Nashville Bluegrass Band, and See Me Feel Me, which is the Hillbenders cover of uh, the Who's song from Tommy. Once again, thanks to Raymond Rich, the Patreon supporter of the day, you can go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become a supporter yourself. Email the show, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. And that's all I got for this one. Everyone take care of yourselves and I will see you next time.
Thank you.